The Rebel Leadership Podcast, a refreshing take on authentic leadership told through real stories. Let's smash the status quo and change how leaders lead once and for all. During the past few years, working remotely has become the norm for many of us. But it's also created some unexpected challenges and real questions like, how do you oversee an entire department from over a thousand miles and 22 hours away? How do you develop those relationships? How do you motivate team members virtually to have a real meaningful impact? On today's episode of the Rebel Leadership Podcast, I'm talking to David Gibbons. He's Rebel's VP of Client Delivery and Technology Solutions. David has a true passion for problem solving and brings a unique perspective to what he calls trashing the thrash, hammering out management solutions that build trust and move every member of his team to have an impact on every aspect of their work every single day. So buckle in. We're traveling all the way to Florida to uncover strategies for how to build that trust remotely. Where's your Hawaiian shirt today? Um, I do have one, but I'm saving it for tomorrow. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. You left it in your suitcase. I, I left it on my hanger at the Airbnb. Yeah, definitely. So share with us where you live vis-a-vis Rebel oh. and how that dynamic was started. So I moved to Boynton Beach after living 30 years in Connecticut in June of 2019. And I was talking to one of our colleagues here and there was an opportunity for me to start a conversation about maybe moving over to Rebel. And you were gracious enough, Rebel was gracious enough to say, sure, let's see how this works with you being in Florida, a senior technical project manager. And a year later, what is your role now? A a little different. uh, (laughs) Just a little. Just a little different. Uh, So we invented a department uh, made of multiple disciplines. So the title is Vice President of Client Delivery and Technology Solutions. And that encompasses project management, the original position that I was hired for, quality assurance, which was the position that I'd had previously before I came to Rebel, accessibility, uh, business requirements, and the technology solutions team. So in one year from project manager to VP, yes, all doing so in a different state. Yes, 20 hours away. How does one build such trust so fast remotely? So you know one thing about me, and that is that I live for problems. That's my thrill in life. That's what, that's what gets me jazzed. That's what gets me out of bed in the morning. And I think where that intersects your question is, I think when you are remote and you want to build that relationship, you have to really submit to the fact that you're remote and be available to everyone on their time, not your time. I think you need to structure your day around understanding you will be interrupted and want to be. I think it's also important, though, that you don't depend on other people to introduce themselves to you. Now, one of the great things about Rebel is People are very, very friendly. And there is, as part of the onboarding process, you have a number of conversations, especially with some of the discipline leads. But I think it's also really important to take the time to intentionally schedule even short meetings with people, more than one person, start that conversation with them, be involved in conversations in Slack, contribute to things, let people know that you can be a resource and that you would be happy to help them regardless of whether or not you're involved in the thing they're dealing with or not. So whether or not it was a project that I was managing or not, if I saw someone was having a challenge or had a question, I would reach out. 
one of the very first things I did was I opened myself to as many Slack channels as I could. And every time an alert comes up, I would just jump into it. I mean, the days can definitely be a little bit longer that way. So essentially, let your presence be felt regardless Engage. of where you are. Engage. Engage regardless of where you are. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something unique about you that is no matter where you physically are, you can feel it through your words through the speed of your communication, but the thoughtfulness of it that you genuinely care. I appreciate you say that. Um, I do. And one of the things I noticed about myself, because I actually caught myself doing it at home, um, I typically will answer the phone. Hi, this is David Givens. How can I help you? And after doing it at home, a friend called and, hi, it's David Gibbons, how can I help you? Yes, David, I, I know who you are and I just <laughs> wanted to talk. Yeah, I don't need anything from you actually right now, just wanted to chat. But I think that really opens a door to people professionally, whether it's a client, an internal colleague, they understand that you are there and want to engage with them to help them on whatever their issue is. It just takes a barrier down. I think you know, that's a very natural barrier to ask people for help. But when you're talking to someone and that's what they want from you, give me your problem. Let me help you with something. It just lowers a resistance, I think. It's such an interesting parallel to another conversation um, we just had on the podcast about intimidation. Mm. And it reduces or removes this wall of intimidation when you make subtle gestures like that. Like You reach out to that person first to make your presence known and make them know that you're here. Versus the inverse, which is if they had reached out to you and you're this mysterious character in Florida that no one knows who you are, well, you may be perceived to be unapproachable. I think you'll naturally get excluded, not through any sense of malice, but yes, there's naturally a fear of the unknown. I don't know what I'm getting with that quantity. Why am I going to open myself to it? And so as project manager, when you first came here, you naturally just started to do those things. And we didn't ask you to do that. You genuinely saw the problem. Like you first started saying you, you get out of bed in the morning because you love solving problems. Mm -hmm. And that's what we naturally saw you doing. And through that influence that you started to naturally organically build other people started to solve problems in a different way, in a very thoughtful, pointed, calm, fact driven way. I do think a certain tone changed. People can be very threatened by problems. People can be very fear drive so much. And I would say that one of the pillars that I have to rely on is a huge degree of fearlessness. I'm just not afraid of the unknown. I think there's also another aspect to the approach. You have to sort of eschew the use of the word no. No, no has its place. It does. But it's a blocker. It's a terminus. It ends things. Conversations end. Interaction ends. Opportunities end on the back of a no. I don't live in a world of no. I live in a world of there is some path to yes. There's some yes out there we can all agree on. I know it might not be the thing you thought you wanted, but let's get behind maybe wanting something different that's a step on that journey. You could almost always build alliantship by following that through. And build trust. And build trust. You care about what I need. You are hearing me. You've heard me because you didn't just say no, but you've heard me that you are able to give me a step on the journey to recognizing what I do want and getting me there. And that builds followers. 
It builds trust, it builds followers, it builds adoption, it builds engagement. In our business, trust is our lifeblood. Mm-hmm. It's not money, it's not work, it's, it's, it's nothing else. It is just trust. Mm-hmm. When you really earn someone's trust, that they know they can come to you for a solution, a valuable opinion, great input, that's what it's all about. So loans older, now leading a team in such a short period of time. And we weren't in all of those conversations. We didn't see those one-on-one micro moments where you're doing the things that you just described. That was just you. No one asked you to do that. No one witnessed it all the time. Sometimes we did, but many times those things happen. Well, I think mostly you didn't. Orga- exactly. Yes. So then how do you believe that it's felt and seen if no one is witnessing it? Like, what is the role of leadership in uncovering that leader who's emerging, who is just naturally doing it because it's naturally who they are? What's well, impact? You didn't see me do it. And in fact, you couldn't. What you could see, though, was the impact of it and what people would say about the interaction they just had. This problem just got solved. Tell me about that. What was the problem? How did you solve it? And invariably, one of the things I love about Rebel is um, it's a real culture of gratitude. And people are so interested in promoting the successes of others, not themselves, not to say there's, it's not a matter of false modesty, but people are very, and you know, our town halls really subscribe to this. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I noticed, and I'll be very honest with you. When I came on, I thought the idea of a weekly town hall, that might feel a little bit hokey to me, but mm-hmm. I'm there for it. Let, mm-hmm. Let's see what happens, mm-hmm. right? The tenor of it was so grounded in sincere and authentic gratitude. It was easy to get swept up in that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really what you saw and it wasn't a matter of, you know, someone calling me out, giving me kudos, but really talking about the work that was getting done, the problems that were being solved. And that maybe you also noticed that fewer problems were coming to you, but solutions were coming to you or coming to your team, those people you're relying on. We, That's how you hear about it. We felt your influence and your impact. You can feel it when there's a leader that has emerged or they've been lit up. They took an opportunity that was in front of them and they pursued it without someone asking them to do it. It's different. Hmm. It feels different. And there's equally the same amount of fact of, yes, fewer problems were being brought to us. And it was like, what just happened? And there was the fact that behind some of that stuff, your name was always attached to it, right? So there's the fact side of it that Mm -hmm. was like, okay, we could quantify the impact you were having. That's the data side. That's the data side. But there was also this palpable shift on the culture side and the emotional side that you can feel where you were onto something, that you were onto something. You were starting to find your sweet spot and emerge. There's other subtle ways that you start to recognize your own influence through the words that others repeat over your key phrases. One of those is our favorite. Trash the thrash. Trash the thrash. So I started hearing this word thrash over and over and over. And there are certain words that are just like, 
not a part of your normal vocabulary, right? <laughs> so you know they had to come from somewhere. Right. And sure enough, this was a David Givens phrase from Boynton Beach, Florida. Right. Through Zoom, through your interactions in Slack, through your natural influence and people being drawn to you that now all of a sudden this one very specifically coined phrase is reverberating through the organization where people are understanding what that concept means, mm -hmm. but having fun doing it. It's something you can rally behind. Again, it's focusing on that specific problem and problems are interesting things. They're often very, very simple at their core, but they can appear to be very complex boiling them down to just a few words, that's tough, but that's key. Mm -hmm. And when you can do that, you can make something that really can be understood and anyone can appreciate and attack it. I can see my part in dealing with that. Trash the thrash. And you asked me a very good question once. David, what is thrash? <laughs> I just thought everyone knew. You know, that work you've got to do just to get underway with the work you need to do. That overhead, that distraction, that nonsense, give it a word, give it a name, give it thrash. Then you start to recognize it. Mm -hmm. And maybe I don't know how to fix it, but now I can point to it in a number of places. And you start to see where it subscribes to other challenges you're having. Why don't I have enough time in my day? I'm dealing with a lot of thrash. Why is that work not where I wanted it to be? You dealt with too much thrash to get there. So let's go to your journey of building trust again. Was there something that happened or a moment for you that made you realize how quickly and how thorough your relationships had become with almost every level of the organization? So I, I visit every six, eight weeks, something like that to come into the office and have so many people be able to recognize and greet me. That really surprised me. Once you, you learn a little bit more about Rebel, you realize it's not really all that uncommon. Everyone here is super friendly, but that they would recognize me on the hoof. Yeah, that was kind of a surprise. And that my time is very much in demand. Yes. So it's, it starts to become harder to sort through where you spend your time. We were talking about this last night. We were. It becomes a, a value return statement. Understanding that you can have impact on a larger number of people, that's where you have to really center your value. Mm -hmm. There are times when you want to help something that's going to help just one person with a problem, but recognizing that if you take that same amount of time and deal with a different problem, you're going to alleviate the thrash, the problem, the challenge in a much larger segment of the agency or the client base or whatever it is. Right. For dozens. For dozens. For one. Right. And or, you have or, to really think about where you invest your time now, knowing that you're rare, right? Yes. Natural born leaders are very rare and their time is very precious, just like everybody else's. And it takes a lot of pause and reflection to revisit constantly where you are spending that time in building trust with the right people who will then also be able to impact. It's a really hard paradigm shift 
because you go from this person who is just like, you were an exceptional project manager. You still are right. You're an, you're exceptionally talented subject matter expert. You still are all these things that you once were are the reason you got to this point and the trust that you built along the way. But some things will have to change in terms of yes. where and how you build that trust in order for you to preserve what you are best at. Does that make sense? It very much does make sense. And I, I think the only path at that point is that one has to focus on one's team and really start to nurture what that team offers. So for example, with this new role, I had been a senior director of client delivery, which we had as sort of an amalgam of QA and accessibility and project management. And then um, we decided to make a change and add the technology team, what we had traditionally called the development team here. And we wanted to really broaden their scope across the agency. We're an interactive agency and technology touches everything that we do. And then I had a thought about taking that one step farther that it's not just the technology team, it's the technology solutions team. Again, you find that one word that encapsulates what you want your point of view to be understood to be. I want your problems. I need your problems. I want to bring you solutions. Being very clear about one's, what one's expectations are for a team also has to be able to be represented in a very simple way. That vision statement has to be very clear, very simple. Anyone can understand it. And they'll know when they've met the expectation, which I think should always be the case. What's one thing that you would recommend to people who are working virtually to build more trust that they can implement today? Reach out to the people that they work with and ask them, how can I make your day easier? What are you dealing with right now? Have a conversation. A former colleague of ours, in fact, um, used to have this, this great phrase, get after it. And she and I had a, a long conversation about how our days could be made lighter by assuming the problems of others. Because I assume your problems, you'll assume someone else's problems. That person will assume someone else's problems. It'll eventually get back to me. Someone will help me with my problems. But that also means you really do have to be open about the challenges you have, which I think is a very important thing. And it, it can be a challenge for an organization to hear what they may think initially is, seems like there's a lot of negativity or criticism. No, there are challenges in every walk of life, in every day. Of course. But that's all they are. They're challenges. They can be overcome, and we have to be able to be transparent about them. No process is perfect. No process is going to solve every problem. Those things you hear about are those things that fall outside of the process. There's an interesting study that was made around World War II. It's a diagram of a plane with all the bullet holes on the plane. That plane got back to its base. And engineers thought, well, you know what we need to do? We need to armor that plane where we see all those bullet holes. Seems to make sense. Plane gets back to our base. They've been shot up over some enemy territory. And there's holes all over the plane. We should probably reinforce that. And then someone had the clever idea, no, that's not its vulnerability. We need to armor every place that doesn't show a bullet hole. Those planes didn't get back. You have to hear about the challenges. And you really have to take an inspiration from them that what they really are, are opportunities. 
Part of my background is I came from a culinary background. I worked in a professional kitchen for a number of years, and I learned a really wonderful lesson from a chef that I apprenticed with for a long time. Um, in food service, you very often go out after service if you're working a dinner service, and we would go out together, uh, grab a coffee, grab a, a drink at a bar, and servers will always ask you, how are you doing? And the way he would answer, he would answer with his whole body. He would lean in. He would get this big, wonderful, engaging smile, look right in the eye and say, I'm fabulous. How are you? And you could just tell he meant it. But the other thing I realized was because he decided he was fabulous. I had some rough nights with him on the line and I would beat myself up. He would beat me up. This order is going out late. This order is overdone. We have to redo it. It would be a brutal service. And as soon as service was over, that was gone. And everything was wonderful again. Wow. Deciding that you're happy, that's the gift we give ourselves. If we don't, no one is going to give it to us. We're the only ones who can make ourselves happy. Nothing else will do so. That is just so apparent. I didn't even think this conversation would go that way, but you are 1,000% right that building trust doesn't matter where you are. It matters most with who you are and who you decide to be because you can build trust with just your phone and on a phone call. Absolutely. Through text, through Like you said, a speed of responsiveness that, that shows that you care. Mm Mm-hmm. And people pick up on just these subtle clues. One doesn't have to be explicit. I'm not going to instruct you to feel a certain way. I'm not going to insist that you communicate with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would also say that I think the, the uh, other side of that coin is accountability. Also, when you're distant, it's very easy to have a conversation and disappear. So let's go back to that, that chef. How powerful that must be to have that recollection of a leader so early on in in who you were forming yourself to be, right? Because like that leadership showed you that it is okay to compartmentalize and it is okay to have a high bar and set high expectations. Because like you said, he would say, not good enough. The food's not good enough. It's not there on time. But, But he also had the other side, which was this, sincere passion it sounds like for what he did and how he treated people and that there was this high bar that then seemed like an aspiration instead of constant critique well i think that was my first real introduction to the stark difference between management and a leader that was chef Mm. they're just not the same thing one is you know, very much an admin sort of role, and the other is someone that you want to rally behind, someone you want to follow, someone that you know you've got a course to chart, and I want to be on your boat. It is so true. And I think all it took was someone or a group of people here making you recognize that you were that person naturally because you had that in you whether you knew it or not. And that humility with which you conducted yourself was just you. And in fact, you were really leading. 
So I will say this, I know I've always had a certain quality of that, but it's a matter of what you really think you can do with it. How much can you affect with it? You can be on a call with one other person and lead that call. Not that there always has to be a leader on a call, but you can be in with a group of people there and you're not be. the leader <laughs> of the be. call, but you can step up and suddenly you assume a certain leadership, which isn't the same as dominating. Very fine line. Super hard for some people. It is super hard for some mm -hmm. people. Again, I don't think it goes to insisting that one acts a certain way. Rather, one has to show a way. Mm. I don't need something of you. I need something of me. And if I want the right thing from myself and it makes a difference, you'll see that. And then you can emulate it, follow it, complement it, contrast with it which is only going to make the entire enterprise, the entire interaction stronger. Lastly, think back to yourself as that line chef. Hmm. Put yourself in the kitchen. What would you tell that person about what's to come? You're happy. Decide you're happy. Be happy. It makes everything easier. It's a decision that any one of us can decide to make at any time. Worst day, you can still decide... Tomorrow's another day. I am happy. We all have setbacks. But I'm happy. I'm happy to be able to have a challenge. That's what I would tell him. He'd get it. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and your leadership with all of us. Thank you for the conversation, Allison. I've, I've really valued this opportunity with you.